Welcome back to Killer Fun. This is Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we're going to talk about the Netflix original Dead to Me. We're going to talk about the first three episodes. We talked about maybe doing just the first one, but... We kind of wanted a little bit more. It's a short show. It just goes by. Well, and it just, you know, it auto plays because it's a Netflix original and dang it if they don't go fast. They go so fast, but we needed to watch all three of the first ones because, because then you get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. You really like, there's a lot of character development and it happens in the first episode, but there's, there's more. So, but before we get into that, I have a friend who contacted us on Facebook. His name's Lucas, and Lucas is about to launch his own podcast, which is I think is going to be really good. He asked me for some advice, and I listened to like an early episode and made some suggestions. But it's going to be called We Don't Talk About That. It's going to come out in September. Um, yeah, it's real. He's just he's so kind, and he's the lovely voice and a religious background. But that's not really what the show is going to be about. It's just about like talking to people with different beliefs and how difficult that can be, especially when they're people you know and love and maybe some tips about how to do that successfully without sacrificing your own ideas. That's really cool. Yeah. So all that to say that he asked me if we had seen the deep fakes videos. Have you seen the deep fakes? Not a lot. I, okay. I've only kind of uh, skimmed the surface of this whole thing. I mean, I've Same. seen little bits of it. And right. of course, news stories. Sometimes we'll have a snippet of this and that and the other. But I haven't really dug really into it. Okay. So the first time I saw it was actually after we recorded, because I think I probably would have mentioned it in our video forensics episode about Exhibit A that we did last time. Oh, yeah. Because that's really like germane. It doesn't, it wouldn't apply to George Powell's case like an Exhibit A, but it's something that, you know, we need to interrogate the video. Interrogate the video. It's just another witness. That was my favorite analogy. Me too. It's just another witness. So the first time I saw it, my husband said, oh, look at this, because The Shining is one of my very favorite movies. I love that movie so much. Somebody took Nicolas Cage's face, which we just finished our Nick Cage Uh series, and put it on Jack Nicholson's face in The Shining. (laughs) And it was kind of amazing. Was it? It was like, like it looked real. Oh, I'm sure it did. I mean, the, the quality is like insane crazy, but I just can't imagine his face in that movie. It was, it was incredible. (sighs) We'll watch it before you leave today, but, and I'll see if I can find that particular video to share on our social media, which you can find us on Twitter at killer fun pod. You can find us on Facebook, killer fun podcast, the intersection of crime and entertainment, or you can send me an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, so I thought, how cool, super fun, neato, look right? at what they can do. That's cool. And then I saw a CNN story yeah. talking about how they're worried about the 2020 election because it's really difficult to tell on some of these that, that it's not real. Yeah. yeah that this the is AI a problem has gotten really, really good at this, that it analyzes all this video of people's faces and matches it up. And 
Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, if it wasn't crazy before, I mean, before this kind of thing, we had like an auditory deep fake in these videos where they would take snippets of a speech or something and they could actually splice it together to make it sound like they said something they absolutely did not because they take out something in the middle. And, you know, and in case you don't know, every once in a while we do that with our podcast (laughs) because we'll say something ridiculous in the middle of something and come back to it or, you know... Mm -hmm. We'll get into gibberish and, you know, not actually say something. And, you know, you could just cut that right out and nobody, nobody knows. So many ums, you know, like I pull as many of those out as I can where it still sounds natural. Right. And you do do that. You do that. So, I mean, we already had issues with audio, you know, in the past, not that, not that we were great at discriminating against those kinds of things. A lot right. of us fell into habits of thinking, oh, that was the quote. That wasn't the quote. Right. Um, but we knew about it at least. Uh, but this is worse because we feel so like, oh, yes, I see it with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. Scary. And on, the, on the one hand, like you want to believe your own eyes. You want to think... They keep saying we need to pay attention and believe what we see and what we know to be true and not believe what other people are trying to tell us is true when we know it's different. But now it's more difficult to tell. It's more difficult to tell. So they are working on ways to try to identify that those as fake videos with another AI. Yeah. <laughs> like they're used, our AIs are going to be the duking it out, like well, put on Facebook, the boxing gloves. And- yeah. Facebook's trying <laughs> in twofold because they're not only just trying to find out how they can recognize these videos as fake, but they're also trying to come against advertisements or sponsored videos or shares from users, from accounts that red flag as possible problems, you know? Right. So hopefully between the two approaches, they'll be able to, but she yeah, was, but it's not just Facebook. That's the problem. That's it's not just Facebook. Like, I mean, that's, that's the scary part is that there's so, there's so many. So, um, I will post an article. I'm not going to talk about it here because we have dead to me to get into. Yes. But I will post an article that talks about how to help identify deep fakes so that you can ha- be a little more informed. But I guess the lesson is be skeptical. More than one source. Yeah. If you don't see three different angles on that person, maybe it's a deep fake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I mean, this is how the news networks have to do it. Is uh, they have they've got to confirm it with three different things. They've got to have it, you know, a well, transcript. They've got to have that's yeah. journalism. So, a listen to journalism, uh-huh. real yeah. journalism. Yeah, but yeah. I'll stop there because <laughs> that we could go on, on an entire on. episode all about that, Ooh. just bloviating with no resources. But I have lots of resources and lots of things to talk about with yes. Dead So let's do that. Let's do that instead. So this is a Netflix original. It stars Christina Applegate as Jen Harding. Her earliest work that she became really famous for, even though she worked prior to that, was Kelly in Married with Children, which this is a very different character. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was in Anchorman. She was the title character in Samantha Who, which I, I had forgotten about. And I'm like, oh, I should go back and watch that because I remember really liking that show. It was only on for a couple of years. All kinds of stuff. 
Linda Cardellini is Judy Hale. She was in Freaks and Geeks. Did you ever see that show? No, not really. It was on Netflix. It's on Netflix now. I watched it when it was on television in the first place. It's great. Was it good? It's really good. I need to go watch it's, it. It's really good. And I think there's only a season of it. So it was one of those like, oh, what was the, oh, there was another one, Undeclared, I think. It didn't have Linda Cardellini in it. But, but another one of those. But ah, it was one kind season. of uh, it was almost, uh, kind of contemporaneous with Freaks and Geeks. And I thought they were both great shows and both of them got canceled pretty quick. That's what happens to all my shows fun. too. Yeah. You know, Linda, I get her mixed up with the other actress that looks like her a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Who's the chick who, who played is. Juno? Oh. What's her name? Ellen Page. Ellen Page. Yeah, she, I get her mixed up with Ellen Page a lot. And if I you look at the that. two of them, I mean, they look like twins to me. And I don't know if anybody else feels that same way, but well, I really do. I don't get them mixed up. I could see how they look related. Yeah. yeah. But she was also in ER for yeah. like six years. I loved her in ER. She was the voice of Wendy on Gravity Falls, which is a fantastic cartoon. It's so weird and funny and my whole family enjoys it. And most recently she was in Avengers Endgame, which I didn't know because I'm so glad so many people like that movie and I have zero interest in seeing it. Uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> me too. But Green Book. Oh, that was great. Oh, yeah. That was great. She did great in that that one. one. Yeah. James Marston plays Steve Wood, Judy's ex-fiance. He was like, why does he look so familiar to me? I mean, I know he's been in a bunch of stuff, but what have I seen? So I start looking through his credits. I'm like, well, I'm sure I saw X-Men back when it was out. Okay. I'm sh- I saw Zoolander, I think on like home video. I think we rented it. I didn't go see it in the movie theater. I never really watched 30 Rock, but I liked the Anchorman series and he was an Anchorman too yes. with Christina Applegate. And then I realized he was Teddy in Westworld, which so, I watched like the first season or two of. Is that good? Should I be watching this? My husband doesn't like it. I liked it. It was one of those that I'd watch it and you'd be kind of confused but still interested. Hmm. And I would listen to a podcast about it. I had a podcast that I liked that covered Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Like they did three or four hours of content every week after an episode of Game of Thrones. And I didn't listen to all of it, but I would listen to a lot of it. And I really liked their commentary. So I would listen to a podcast about Westworld by these same people. Ah. And I found that even if I didn't enjoy the episode while I was watching it, I kind of enjoyed hearing their thoughts on it and them talking about it. Okay. So, cause I feel like it's a, like a little sci-fi Westworld, you know, kind of, kind of Stephen Kingish gunslinger robots, sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Westerns. I liked it better than my husband. I have not watched the latest season of it. Yeah. There's a lot going on. I, it's just, <laughs> There's a lot going on. Well, I, I don't want to watch it now because I just started a new one um, that's on Netflix. What, another ne- um, another life. Ooh, it's a very, very, very sci-fi. Um, yeah, very sci-fi. But it's it's really good. Not so much crimey, I think. Yeah. Although there is definitely crime because yeah, crime is fun apparently. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> I watch it and I like it, but I watch it alone because it's uh-huh. not the kind of thing my yeah. husband would like. But I've, I wondered about Westworld because yeah. it seems like it'd be right up my alley. 
it's problematic in some ways, but in a lot of ways, it's really interesting. Okay. So. All right. If that wholehearted endorsement. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's oh, read. But James, oh. I got to, yeah. I got to point out that James was in the notebook. Oh. For all you out there who have that. like notebook crush, um, he was in the notebook. So and twenty seven dresses. So okay. oh, and I, can I just say one more thing about another movie? Because Christina no Applegate, <laughs> you can say whatever you want. <laughs> but Christina Applegate, okay. Do you know my favorite, 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 favorite movie that she ever did? What's Don't that? Tell Mom, The Babysitter's oh, Dead. Gosh, I haven't seen that in decades. Absolutely wonderful movie. I absolutely loved her in it, and I showed my kids this movie, and I thought they're gonna hate this movie, but they loved it, oh, and good. I was like, it holds up, yay! Still funny. Get yeah. this day. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's okay. good. Okay. So just had awesome. a shout out a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to recap it. We'll start out with episode one. Go to the end of episode three. I'll denote the different episodes. Yeah. We're going to spoil the first three episodes for you, but we're not going to spoil the last seven. Is yeah. there 10? I think there's, there's 10. Netflix 10. usually does 10 or eight, but yeah. I think there's 10 in this one. I don't remember. We won't spoil all of it. There's plenty of stuff to discover. We know that Christina Applegate has suffered a loss because she's standing at her front door and her neighbor is bringing her food that looks terrible. In a dish that she has to return. In a dish that she has to return. Pet peeve, pet peeve. We'll get to that. She goes to grief counseling at this picturesque spot on the California coast. I'm like, and that's a great place to do grief counseling with the sound of the ocean and like good stuff. And then she, the blonde, Christina Applegate, meets a redhead, Linda Cardellini, and they kind of bond over terrible coffee. And they learn that it's their first time for both of them. And we learn that the blonde is Jen and the redhead is Judy. Group starts, the Friends of Heaven, it's led by Pastor Wayne. I don't know why I think that's funny. <laughs> I don't know why his name being Wayne is funny, but it's kind of funny. It's one of those you can't describe why something's funny, but it just is. And I know that they cast that actor in that role because he doesn't look like a Wayne. Yeah, at all. At all. At all. I'm not that I'm trying to like stereotype what Wayne should look like. But for some reason, he just doesn't. He just doesn't look like a Wayne. <laughs> yep. So Judy shares that she lost her fiance eight weeks prior. They talk about forgiveness. Jen is having a really hard time with forgiveness because her husband was killed about three months prior in a hit and run car accident. She mentions that she doesn't sleep. And so Judy says, hey, here's my number. Call me and we can not sleep together, which I thought was it like was endearing. Sweet. Yeah, it was really like Judy's just very lovable. I yeah, think. she's very uh, delightful. Yeah. yeah, Jen's a little harder, a little rough. <laughs> Understandably, yeah, I like Jen though. I, I do like Jen. I don't dislike her. I don't dislike her, but I can see how she'd be hard for some people to like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the anger though, the oh, anger, so much anger. I don't think it started when her husband died, but we'll get to that. Jen has two kids, Henry, who's probably 10 or so, Charlie, who's 15. Uh, Henry is worried about leaving his mom alone. He wants to go to work with her, and she says, I'll be fine. 
And he says, I'm not worried about you being fine. I'm worried about you being lonely. Mm -hmm. It's very sweet. It was a very sweet moment. So Jen is sad. She cries. She exercises and she picks up the phone at 12.06 a.m. and calls Judy and they talk about their lost loved ones and kind of get to know each other. And it's really cathartic to be able to talk because I get the impression that maybe neither one of them have done a lot of talking about what they've lost. Right. Very isolated. Mm Mm-hmm. We have a little montage. Jen is a real estate agent who looks at the bumpers of cars that have damage. And Judy works in a retirement home with older people and goes to parks and makes faces at babies. (laughs) So these are the, you know, it's like their job and their hobby. Yeah. Judy ends up going over to Jen's house rather than talking on the phone all the time. We get the impression this becomes a regular occurrence after the fact, they watch the facts of life. Jen wants to be a Joe, but Judy tells her she's a Blair. I'm going to post an article so that everybody can play a quiz and see who they are. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm a Joe, according to the quiz that I oh, found. Oh, are you? Which surprised I, me. I have to say I'm a bit surprised as well. <laughs> Maybe yeah. just because I'm not fussy. Maybe. And I don't really care what other people think that much. Maybe so. Because <laughs> Blair was always very self-assured. But I loved it. Judy looked at Jen and was like, you're not a Blair. I'm sitting on your outside porch watching TV. Oh, yeah. Like on your, on your outside, outside living room and yeah. your outside television. Next and, to your pool. Yeah, next to your pool. <laughs> and it was just a little too uh, precious for that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Jen has an anger issue. She's very angry. And Judy suggests meditation, helpfully. And they go and quote unquote meditate by driving around in Jen's car to very, very loud, hard music. I concur. It's a fabulous way to meditate. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Jen decides to surprise Judy one night by going over to her house instead of having Judy come to her. And she knows where she lives because Judy sent Jen pictures of her former fiance in their lovely home. Out front, in front of the front door. Yeah. And And so real estate agent Jen can figure out exactly where that street is and has the street number right in the picture. Yeah. So she figures it out, no problem. She goes over there, rings the doorbell, and answers the door but the man who's supposed to be dead steve the ex-fiance the ex-fiance by lost she meant broke up and jen's very very mad confronts judy at group and judy explains that they broke up because judy had a bunch of miscarriages and was and really late sad about kind it. of miscarriages it yeah. was it was really yeah traumatic yeah there's a moment after this, that mm-hmm. is very important to me for no other reason. Not anything related to the show, actually. Yeah, so cut that out. All right, keep going. <laughs> okay. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they've argued. Both women look at their phones at 12.06 and kind of miss talking to one another. So the next day, Jen goes to the retirement home where... Judy works. She apologizes, acknowledges Judy's loss, which I thought was really sweet. This is the moment I'm talking about. Because basically, we find out through this very subtle way that Judy doesn't feel like her losses qualify as losses. Right. And Jen says, no, I think it's something. I think it's something. I mean, it is something. I mean, not if a Republican's around, but <laughs> it is so something. Funny. And yeah. it was just this moment where I, 
I really appreciated something about the writing of this show that I typically would not enjoy, but I got it this time. So okay. I, I kind of like plot explanation, man. Like I like the characters when they kind of talk about what's going on. I guess because I enjoy talking, which is why I talk on a podcast and, (laughs) you know, and so I kind of like it. I like to hear people bounce ideas back and forth. Um, but my husband, the filmmaker hates that the expository is unnecessary. The whole point is it's supposed to be far more subtle. You're supposed to see it happen. You're supposed to be able to be in the context enough. So he doesn't want his villains to monologue. Right. He he doesn't, and he doesn't want his heroes to talk about their plan. Right. Like just Go, go and do. When she says this, all of a sudden I realize why Judy thinks her losses don't qualify because she lives in California. She Aww. herself is very pro-choice. Yeah. Right? Um, and so the mm. cognitive dissonance between having yeah. this pro-choice and fighting for this right for women and yet also feeling such horrific loss over a miscarriage, she right. can reconcile it. Right. And Jen reconciles Aww. it so quickly. Yeah. Because she Just says, like, well, not when our Republicans are around. Like, that's the political side. But this, this is an actual yeah, thing. Yeah, this matters and to I you. Thought, it took her literally... seconds to reconcile why it's okay for it to be a loss and it's okay for them to think about it being a right to be able to do it, that you don't have to choose whether it's a loss for you or not. Right. You you can can be both. It can kind of be both. And that sometimes the things that are important, you know, that you have to do are a loss and doesn't make it wrong in their minds. You know, I'm not sitting here trying to start a political debate, but I'm saying that it was amazing to me how fast she was able to reconcile that whole part of Judy and Judy right. Linda acted that amazingly because the expression on her face was literally literally that relief yeah like and somebody thought, gets it somebody gets it and I'm it's allowed, okay i'm allowed to grieve it and allowed to also have an opinion that somebody else doesn't have to. Because most people would use that against them and say, well, see, if you think it's a loss, then that means, and they would go down a rabbit trail, which I can understand that line of thinking. I'm not saying I don't understand it. Right. I don't necessarily agree with it. But I can understand why, why the question would be asked. How can you see it this way here and see it that way there? I get that. Well, it's just like babies who were born and end up in the NICU and they maybe shouldn't have survived. But I don't think that it's wrong to spend half a million dollars to save that baby. Exactly. We get it from the life side. We don't necessarily give a lot of right. compassion to the other side yeah. of it. Um, but I just thought amazing writing, amazing acting for them to be able to so make a quip and deliver such relief and for them to act it. And I thought... Well done. Yeah. I I thought it was really well acted. That moment. Well written, well acted, <sighs> really good. Well explained. Yeah. Like, just everything. I mean, it was like four sentences of dialogue, and we've sat here talking about it I for mean, five minutes. It, it, yeah. And I just wanted to pause and applaud it. Like, yeah. just applaud moment, because <laughs> well good. done, guys. Yeah. You did yeah. good. Okay. <laughs> so after this moment. Yeah. Jen realizes that Judy is living at the retirement home and they have kind of a funny line about something about there's like a lot of rooms that come available, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm like, oh, that's morbid, really funny at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Jen says, I have a guest house. Judy, come live in it. Just a little weird, but also kind of understandable. They've had this trauma has brought them together in Mm -hmm. a way that 
little else does. Right. Yeah. Shared experience, even though they didn't share the loss of the same person. Well, and they shared so much of themselves with each other in those weeks before all of that happened. Yeah. And then it's at the end of the episode, we see Judy go to a storage unit and there's blankets hanging on the wall and a car inside the storage unit. And, oh, look at that. It has a bumper damage, just like the kind that Jen was looking at earlier. And the episode ends. And the episode ends and you're like, wait, what? Okay, next. Yeah. (laughs) Let it play, folks. Charlie thinks it's weird that uh, Judy is living with them. Jen's oldest son, he's like, this is weird that she lives in the guest house. A little bit. I can see where he's coming from, but it's probably fine. Steve is selling his home that he shared with Judy, and Jen's the real estate agent. I'm like, well, I mean, I saw it coming, but at the same time... Yeah, because when in episode one, when... When Jen goes to the door and Steve answers it, she is mad and she hands him a card and says, maybe it's better that she doesn't know where you live. (laughs) And so then he calls her and says, okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll sell this house. Judy goes into the guest house that's filled with Ted's recording equipment and it's kind of overwhelming. She decides she's going to go back to Steve's house, the house they shared together. She still has a key. She goes to go inside And the key doesn't work anymore. She's really frustrated. And while she's doing that, Steve ends up at Jen's office and tells her that Judy is crazy and that he's concerned. She tell her to stop going into my house. Yeah, because she didn't just go to the house. She like went to the house and went to his workplace. And then uh, as they're talking about this, then you see Judy smudging the guest house because all of Ted's stuff was in there, Jen's dead husband. Jen's out running. She reports a speeding yellow car. She's very angry about it. She's angry about everything, but she's particularly angry about the speeding yellow car. Which is totally understandable. Yeah. I totally understand and felt all of her rage. Yes. All of it. Yes. Every last bit. Well, especially in a residential neighborhood. I get get so mad when I see people. I'm like... Well, she's Slow running down. on the same road that her husband gets killed on. Yeah. Right? Like, Which change your running route. I'm sorry. I mean, honey. change your running route. But see, she's waiting. Yeah. She's, she's looking home. for the car. And this car almost runs her over when he takes a turn too hard. Yeah. And, and so her, she is there to find out who is the hmm that is speeding through this street that hit my husband and killed him. You yeah. know? And so there's just, she's looking for it, but she's also angry because... Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened to her husband. And that's just... The cops show up at Jen's house to inform Judy that Steve's taken out a restraining order. And later, Jen and her business partner, Christopher, go to look at Steve's house and talk about the listing. And Jen kind of asks Steve about the restraining order. And he says, really, it's just a message to her. I'm not really afraid of her. So Judy is home and Jen isn't yet. And Charlie is playing this violent video game, the 15-year-old son. And Judy kind of strikes up this uneasy conversation, and she's just so charming. She has a way of really building a rapport with him that Jen then sees when she comes home that they're all eating pizza together, and it's kind of sweet. Yeah, it is sweet. And Jen decides it's time to clean out the guest house. Yeah, and you know, when Jen was at the house, Steve's house, there was a moment there where 
they go in and they see the baby room. Yeah. And it was really hard on Steve and he just doesn't go in there. And Jen makes kind of a remark to him that, you know, if I had gone through what she got, what she went through, I might be a little crazy too. Well, and that's where she learns that the final miscarriage that she had was pretty far along. Yeah. She didn't realize that it was, you know, not a eight or 12 weeker. Right. It was a miscarriage five months. five months, which is, you know, you've told everybody you've had the ultrasound, you know, the biological gender of the child. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of in- emotional investment in that. Mm-hmm. So Judy flashes back and we learned that Steve was with her in the car the night that she hit Ted. Then they talk about they're in the car and they, <laughs> Jen and Judy talk about uh, the term crazy and Jen's mad that Steve called her crazy and she, we shouldn't be using words like this anymore. And then she stops the car and gets out and pulls a golf club out of her trunk and beats the tar out of the yellow car that had been speeding. Not a really good argument. Not a great argument, although there may be more using... specific terms that they could be using. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> so that's where episode two ends. Episode three, Henry, Jen's youngest son, believes that a bird is his dad, that it's coming to wake him Mm -hmm. up. It's very sweet. It is very sweet. Jen tells the grief group that it's almost Ted's 50th birthday. She wants to move on, but she feels like this is kind of weighing on her and she really can't. And they're having an open house later at Steve's home. And another real estate agent comes in and Jen and her business partner, Christopher, both like terrified did neither one of them want to talk to this woman i wouldn't just first look Mm-mm. nope nope and uh lorna it is this other real estate agent turns out it's ted's mother which that i that's like a whole bunch of stuff right there i think yeah. like that they're both real estate agents and I, I don't know so lorna informs jen that she's planning a party for ted's birthday and even though in group jen said she did not want to do anything to celebrate ted's birthday she says no we're having a memorial at my house which i think also says a lot about the relationship not only that jen and lorna have but that jen and ted had Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of nuance there that's kind of goes unspoken oh yes i really agree i really like how that was played i'm looking for the name of that actress oh lorna yes oh no can't remember her name oh there she is valerie mahaffey mahaffey how do you say that mahaffey she's played in all of like all of the the network dramas yeah like every one of them yeah er she She was was in in a ton of stuff I yes. mean, oh, the client is the one I kind of think of the most. Oh, yeah. That's the one that kind of comes to mind the she most. She kind of looks like Susan Sarandon. Right. Was in that movie. Right. But yeah, that was a that was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. She's a really well-known actress. Yes, and and, and can be very intimidating. Very. And I don't know what it is about her <laughs> that she does that she's so a, well. She's a really good actress. She's That's just a, really good. Yeah. Jen ends up enlisting Judy's help. Mm-hmm in planning this memorial which is kind of right up judy's alley this is what she does at the retirement home is Mm -hmm. she plans events and parties and things she said it's in my wheelhouse yes 
Jen mentions later to Charlie that she wants him to turn off this violent video game. She doesn't understand it at all. And Charlie reveals that he used to play it with his dad. And that's kind of why he's been playing it so much lately. Now it's party time. Judy's done a wonderful job using birds and balloons to plan this memorial. And, you know, it's just a few people, all characters we've seen, Lorna, Christopher, Jen's business partner, Judy, Jen and her children, Mm -hmm. not a very small group. Judy is told by Henry that she needs to send up a balloon, even though she didn't know Ted and Judy flashes back to Ted's funeral and we learn that she had attended Ted's funeral and wrote on a piece of paper, I'm so sorry, it's all my fault. Lorna proves herself to be kind of awful and maybe a little insightful when she confronts Judy. The police arrive to question Jen in the middle of this memorial about the beaten up car and Judy confesses and takes the fall for her and She's confessing, I did it, meaning she hit Ted with her car, and but is actually confessing to the police that she beat the car up. It's like a little way of trying to make it up, I guess. You know, there's a there's a whole there's a lot of layers there. Yeah, she does a great job of acting this out, but she has this I don't know, this freedom, like she's using it kind of vicariously to confess the real crime. Yeah. Jen and Lorna. Ted's mother argue about Judy, and then they argue about Ted. Jen blames every marital problem that she and Ted had on Lorna, and that's not really the whole story. And Lorna leaves. Christopher prays. They release the balloons. It's touching and a little weird, but touching. Yeah. Steve is the one who ends up bailing Judy out and quote unquote takes care of it. So you get the impression that he like knows a guy. Well, cause he's a lawyer. Yeah. So yeah, he, I think he he's probably able, knows a guy. Yeah. <laughs> he knows the guy. He took care of it. Jen is sitting in the yard after the children have gone to bed and a balloon sinks and she pops it to read what's inside. And of course you think it's going to be Judy's. It's Charlie's saying that he wishes he could still play Wrath of Hades, which is the violent video game with his dad. So Jen was like, well, I can do that with him. So she goes in and uses Ted's laptop to start playing this game. And she chats with her son. I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not going to be any good at this, but I'll, I'll play with you. Mm-hmm. And he's thrilled. Yeah, he's super thrilled. And then she gets a private message from somebody named Bambi88. And she misses Ted, and it becomes rapidly very clear that Bambi 88 and Ted were in a physical, in real life relationship. Re- relationship. So my heart really broke for Jen at that moment. I know. I was like, oh boy, Ooh. anger about to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to help her anger issues. Uh, not going to help her <laughs> anger issues at all. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll talk about what's real, what's not, some psychology behind this, and, you know, some real-life stuff. Woohoo! All right. I'm Josh. And I'm Skinner. And we host PredictoCast. On this podcast, we watch the first 10 minutes of movies we know nothing about and then try to predict what happens next. It's like very low-stakes gambling. We've covered movies with talking dogs, fake legs, 
sexual medical dummies, and Santa Claus. New episodes are released every week, and you can find us wherever you get podcasts or at predictocast.com. We predict you're going to love this show. We're back. Thanks so much for sticking with us through that quick break. So now we talk about some things that are real. So the Friends of Heaven, not real. Oh. <laughs> not, but you can get a t-shirt. Oh, can you really? <laughs> yes, you can no, get that's a, funny. A Friends of Heaven. No, I'm t-shirts. sure groups like this do exist. Uh, yes, but not yes, this they one. They do, but they're not all like sunshine and rainbows. I found a little article about grief support groups, and they talk about positives and pitfalls, mm-hmm. which I hadn't really thought about that there might be pitfalls to the grief group. Yeah, like it seems like that's. That's the thing that should be helpful. But they actually, this guy did a really good job on the article. And really, he talked first about the pitfalls. Okay. And he did that because a lot of people get suggested that they should go to a grief group. And it's not right for them because not one thing is right for everyone. Right. And then they're disappointed. They, they feel really let down, like, and then they feel on top of their grief, like there's something wrong with them because this wasn't helpful for them. Right. They feel ashamed. Yeah. So he talks about it. I thought it was really good. It, it can be really overwhelming, especially if you're an empath, you mm-hmm. know, being in a room with other people who are grieving and kind of taking on that grief in addition to your own can be a real issue sometimes for people. It can be discouraging because you go and you're expecting that, oh, I'm going to see how it gets better. And even years later, people have bad days Mm -hmm. when they're grieving. They expect that they're going to have some therapeutic results from this, but grief groups are not therapy. If you need therapy, you You should go go to therapy. Yeah. You need to go to a therapist and talk to them and not to say that a group can't be led by a therapist and be helpful in that way, but not every group group operates that way. Mm -hmm. You can get incorrect information, bad advice. You have people who are there who are sad or angry and you know, they're just people just like everybody else, people go with the expectation that it's going to be kind of a judgment-free zone. But again, these are people. These are people. Some of them are going to have judgments. And also people. People. Um, <laughs> they, they, one person can drag an entire group down. Oh, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, these types of groups are a little bit of a magnet to some sorts of people. Mm. Um, I bet Lorna went to a... Grief oh, group. I bet she did. And she just took it right over. Hijacked it. I guarantee it. Yeah. <laughs> hijacked it. Yeah, it's hard. You know, people people try to be helpful or they try to get attention and everybody's competing for, and you end up in a weird, morbid one-up game, you know, of who has it worse off. And then, then you try to tell your story and then somebody else says, oh, me too. And I understand it. And then they tell their story and you're kind of like cut off yeah, because somebody else wants to tell their story and, and you're kind of dismissed and, um, that can be not yeah. good. Or well, you think you have it bad. Listen to how bad it was for me. Right. It's, it's just, there's a lot of, uh, that's why a good leader is paramount. Yeah. But then there's lots of Positive Lots things. Lots of positive things. So if you can go into it and you can kind of feel hopeful that you can see people who are further along in their healing and think, okay, maybe I can get to that place right. too. Universality. You're not alone. 
Mm-hmm. This uh, everybody goes through grief at some point in their life, and you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Which ironically can be a pitfall as well. Oh, really? Because it's one thing to say you're not alone. To say that you're not alone also implies that you're not unique. And when you're going through something that you feel is so life-changing, it's hard to be told that it's normal. Right. Um, And unfortunately, it's Mm. common, gets conflated with, well, it's normal. And that's a bad place. And you don't know how the person's going to take that. Right. So it's always very careful to say, um, I always recommend that people avoid saying that it's common or it happens to everybody or everybody goes through this and instead really use the the verbiage of you're not alone. We're here for you Oh, okay. because good. it avoids dismissing the uniqueness of what's happening because even though grief is ubiquitous, the experience is unique. Right. Everybody has grief and everybody experiences it differently. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, altruism. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're kind of beyond the immediate emergency grief stage, you can help other people. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry that you're going through this. I understand what you're feeling. Here's what worked for me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it'll work for you. If not, I'm here to help you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, people, they like to belong. They do and like to belong. And this kind of gives you a opportunity to belong in a sad way, but also helpful in a yep. lot of cases for a lot of people. Agreed. It's not helpful for everybody. It's not helpful for everybody. So I thought, how common is a hit and run? Mm. Good question. (laughs) Sad question. Oh, no. Really? 2016 was the deadliest year since the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration began keeping statistics on fatal motor vehicle crashes since 1975. Whoa. Yeah. Why? Did it say? Uh, No, but not, not really. It just found that... Hit and run collisions are fatal 65% of the time because, because you hit the person and they need immediate medical attention that could probably be saved and they're not getting it because the driver drove away. It's most likely pedestrians and cyclists mm-hmm. who are going to get hit. I thought this was interesting. New Mexico, Louisiana, and Florida were the states with the highest hit and run rates. Hmm. And New Hampshire, Maine, and Minnesota were the lowest. Now, you could make generalizations about the people, but I think it has more to do with the weather. Weather. Yeah, you're just not walking around a lot. You're not walking or riding your bike for like six months of the year in Minnesota. Yeah, even longer maybe. Well, Well, I wouldn't. Maybe they would. Well, that's why I say six months because I wouldn't either because, hello, South Texas. Hello. (laughs) But... You know, people in Minnesota, they might be more willing to get out in like 40 degree weather where there's no ice on the road. Whereas I'm like, no, no, (laughs) no. I wonder, I wonder if they can tell and if they record who would be at fault. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Ooh. That most hit and run crashes happen between midnight and 4 a.m. It's dark. They have the cover of darkness with which to flee, and they're afraid. And, you know, very often they've been drinking. But they didn't cite in this article who was at fault. Mm -hmm. But that if you're the driver and you hit somebody and you leave the scene, no matter whose fault it was, now you're in a lot of trouble. Exactly. That's my, my question. Like, I feel like... 
if I accidentally hit somebody at night, apart from like drinking or having veered off the road because I was looking at my phone or something dumb like that, I think in general, I would feel confident that I would not be charged, that it would not be my fault, that I would blame the fact that a pedestrian was out without safety gear and in the road in a way that was... Right. Or just that it's an accident. Because there there are times when nobody is considered at fault just because it's it's dark and accidents happen. And as long as you're there to help and render aid and call the appropriate authorities Mm -hmm. so that that person can get help, then you are probably going to be okay. So why don't people call? That's just nuts. Because they're afraid. A lot of times they've been drinking. I wonder if that's the case. So they didn't specifically cite who was at fault, but don't leave because Mm -hmm. then you're way more at fault than you were prior to that. Right. Grief insomnia is real and very common. You try and go to sleep and you have regrets or worries or anxieties or sadness about either how your time together with that person or how it ended or how they died. And it can be a thing, especially if it's somebody you shared a bed with, Mm -hmm. it can be very, very difficult to sleep. It's common. It causes sleep deprivation, which makes grief worse. Mm -hmm. So emotionally, we saw this with Jen. She was very emotional because she really wasn't, getting enough sleep. So she had a much more difficult time balancing her mood. She had a poor outlook on things because she wasn't getting enough rest. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Wrath of Hades. is not a real game. <laughs> there are plenty like it, but yeah. it's not a real game. I'm like, they definitely modeled it after. Uh-huh. Oh yes. Yeah. Just like they modeled friends of heaven after yeah. real grief support groups, but it is not in itself. A, a real, real one. A real grief support group. Is that something that you like? Oh, what's it called? Where you have your own location, but it's nationwide. Oh, like a franchise? Franchise. Thank you. Is it, is it, would you franchise like a well, grief I mean, group? There's definitely a copyright. Yeah. There's definitely, because grief share is the okay. prominent one. And oh, I don't mean okay. that as like, there's a grief share group. I mean, like that's the name of grief share oh, and it's a okay. organized curriculum so that like churches or even other organizations that want to offer it can purchase the curriculum and get training as leaders and then oh. offer that. And, but I don't know that there's like large conventions where everybody comes together. <laughs> That'd just, be weird. Like an MLM. Where yeah. Like, like, I don't know about that, but, um, you know, and I mean, just spoiler alert, wow. they go to a convention for friends of heaven later in the, in the series they went kind of like to a retreat like uh-huh. a grief retreat oh, right. but they do i do know that some of the groups will go on larger grief uh resort retreats kind of conferences that are built towards and then you might take your grief share but grief share is proven to be uh quite effective oh good um yeah as far That's as a grief good. and so if you have a issue maybe look up grief share in your local area mm-hmm. because um it is it is quite effective uh-huh. and you find that a church might host it but people from all over not just yeah. like that congregation or right. you know not just um that you know believers. religious affiliation mm-hmm. it could be it could be anybody yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. All right, uh, restraining orders. <laughs> because he got a restraining order against Judy, and I'm like, really? I mean, 
He's an attorney. He's an attorney. So it took him, what, two seconds? Yeah, because he knows a guy. He knows a guy. He can just do that <laughs> to send a message. The rest of us could have a stalker after us and wouldn't get a judge to sign it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was kind of the thing that I was looking at. It was like, well, how difficult is it really? Well, if you're not an attorney and you don't know a guy, it's fairly difficult. It's not like impossible, but it's not super easy either. Yeah. You have to have like evidence. You have to be able to go... F- before a judge and say, I literally am afraid for whatever reason. So I'm sure that Steve used Judy going into the home that they had once shared when she no longer lived there as the reasoning that she was committing burglary. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, she wasn't like hitting him or criminal trespass. Yeah, I was about to say trespassing. Yeah, but... You know, she wasn't harassing him. She wasn't assaulting him, stalking him. None of the things that would be common reasons for it. Then the protective orders are specific as to what people can and can't do. Like, he just kind of made it sound like, well, I've got a restraining order on you. And that was all they said. Yeah. But it's very specific about what you may not do, how close you're allowed to be, maybe things you have to do, like pay child support and things like that. So they made it look really easy. And I think that that's something that happens a lot in entertainment is they make it look like it's really no big deal to be able to get a protective order. But that's not no, it's a, the case. It's a little more complicated. Than I that. mean, maybe unless you're an attorney. <laughs> unless you're an attorney. <laughs> so let's talk about psychology. Okay, All let's right. do it. A breakup really can be like a death. Really can be. Yeah. Yeah. So this article talks about relationship can be sort of like a, almost like its own entity that you've created with your partner. And so it feels like its own being sort of. And then there's also a literal chemical addiction that happens in your brain when you're in a relationship with somebody a lot of the time. So when you bring those two things together at the end of a relationship, it's paralyzing grief for this entity that you've lost and physical and emotional withdrawal from addiction. Yeah. Which like, Holy smokes. Unlike an actual death, you can still talk to that person theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> Depends on how bad it was, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, you know, you can call them up on the phone and whether or not they talk to you, at least you can hear their voice and that's going to alleviate your addiction symptoms temporarily. So, but it sets you back. Just like if you have an addiction to drugs. You're going to feel better if you take the drug, but that's going to set your withdrawal process back. Right. You know, that that breakup is, people obviously grieve differently, and it also depends on the type of breakup or how long they've been together or, you know, the situation involved there. But breakups can be absolutely paralyzing. Yeah. But <laughs> unfortunately... But fortunately, it's kind of like when a pet dies and, you know, if your dog dies, just, you know, get a puppy and oh. you kind of recover really fast. Oh, so well, you're advocating a for the rebound? The rebound. <laughs> 
the rebound is actually kind of helpful if you're smart about it. Uh-huh. Don't oh, be okay. dumb. Yeah. But you know, a little rebound isn't isn't a terrible thing. It can kind of uh, kind of remind you that there's more fish in the sea, uh-huh. to use a cliche. Uh-huh. But really, it does. It kind of just breaks your bubble a little bit to say, okay, I, there is a life outside of this. It okay. kind of okay moves on your uh-huh. thought process. It can break the rumination a little bit. Uh-huh. Okay. And it reinvigorates because you get like these flushes of dopamine and all of this stuff. So your your hormones are working for you, not Uh against you. The thing is, it doesn't take away the grief. It just makes you grieve more healthily. Right? Like, cool. That's the thing we want to do. You don't want to just ignore grief or try to avoid it because that's not possible. The point is, what can you do to help yourself kind of grieve better? Grieve through it mm-hmm. rather than ruminate in your grief. Right. You don't want it to become what we call complicated grief. Uh, complicated grief is grief that really needs intervention. Um, it's a trajectory of grief of a few, uh, that, that end up in bad places with people who need therapy or maybe even medication. They become depressed. They become, you know, emotionally challenged. They get stuck in the rumination of it or stuck in the anger and bitterness. Um, so complicated grief is is a profile that fits about 4% of people who are grieving. Oh, so it's okay. a quite small amount. Most people are actually resilient and move forward like that. But if for some reason there's something that blocks that resilience, or if you just don't naturally have a lot of resilience, which is horrible. I know to say it so like, flippantly, you know, to say there are people out there who are not resilient. It's not as flippant as I'm sounding. I'm being kind of clinical about it. Um, But some people are just more vulnerable. um, And there's certain things that can heighten your risk factor. So the fact that you may not, quote, have as much resilience may not be something that is your fault, right? It's not something that you can maybe have predicted. Maybe you didn't even know that you had low resilience in this area. Right. You know, like, so don't take it personally. Resilience in other areas, but a particular type of grief may be something that you're not able to deal deal with. And it's not really, no, nobody's blaming you. It's just that when we look at you, we're going to go, oh, this is the type of person we're we're working with so that we know how to best kind of come alongside. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's really not one size fits all. But in this case, one size fits most. Right. Vastly. But as you know, complicated grief is still an issue that millions of Americans deal with. And it's not a moral failing. I it's think that's where a, a lot failing. of that's where a lot of people, you know, why can't you just get over it? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, you have a different experience with it than somebody else mm-hmm. and somebody else might not just be able to get over it. Right. You shouldn't try to get over mm-hmm. it. You need to incorporate that get grief. Past it. People will grieve for the rest of their lives. Yeah. The question is how do you incorporate this new thing into your life? Yeah. Where does that grief stay? And it really comes down to assessment. We all have a lens to the world. And so things happen to us. And what, what we do is we assign values, we assign importance, priority, we assign meanings. And so when you're reminded of something that's hard, what do you assign to that? So if you're, if you're having a complicated grief, maybe when you're reminded of it, you assign a personal failing or a personal I'm broken because everybody abandons me or God has abandoned me. You assign these kind of meanings to it. You allow it to say something over here that is detrimental to the self. But 
maybe you assess it differently. Maybe you say, oh, I'm reminded, well, maybe I should take a few minutes then and remember. Um, maybe it's a good time to, to take a moment of silence or, Hey, this came out of nowhere. Maybe I'm a little bit more, uh, emotional today than I realized. And so it's a, how you assign what happens to you. Hmm. So when people say things like, it's not what happens to you, it's how you handle it. Right. We don't mean that get over it. It's not your fault. What we're saying is it's not what happens to you. It's how you're going to take that captive and use it in your life. Yeah. We're not saying that, that it's your fault or that you shouldn't have these things happen or that your emotions aren't valid. What we're saying is what you do after the fact is, is how you can navigate the whole situation better and more healthily and more beneficial to you. So right before Jen beats up the car with a golf club, (laughs) she's justifiably angry right before she says that she's talking about, we shouldn't use the word crazy. Yeah. And I've used the word crazy describing things on this show before. And I've used it like in my daily life. And I I know that I shouldn't. And I need to be more cognizant of it. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole appropriating mental illness. A little bit. But on the other hand, no clinician would use the word crazy. Right. Therefore, it is kind of a layman's term for chaos and things that don't make sense and like weird things. But we kind of use it as this catch-all. We kind of use it as a catch-all. So we talk about it. Well, it, and particularly Jen says that men call women crazy well, to dismiss them. And it's interesting that you bring that up because it's sort of it's sort of a sexist term. It really is a sexist and term. And we don't really think about that so much but women being called crazy is very much talking about them being irrational hysterical disconnected from reality these are the things that we associate with the word crazy and they're almost exclusively attributed to women well that's the etymology of the of the terms you know because well hysterical was hysteria which comes mm -hmm. from hystero which like you have a hysterectomy your uterus is removed it's specifically referring to female anatomy right yeah because they they knew that women what a quote you know oh like the golden girls get crazy once a month uh-huh. you know because the hormones rush and we have all of these things that women have to deal with and and so you do you have like a kind of a well some more than others but you have a kind of a roller coaster right and back in the day they just didn't understand that <laughs> at well all. and that's that doesn't take into account the emotional labor that women put in. Typically, women are responsible for that's rarely acknowledged. And you add additional stressors, hormone-related sometimes, mm-hmm. maybe not, but sometimes. Maybe it's just pain-related. Yeah. From the- and now we're, we're attributing crazy mm-hmm. to women. Well, and that and syphilis. Oh, because one of the characteristics of syphilis is that you do actually have breaks from reality, dementia, you know, you have all these kind of things. And so with syphilis being so rampant among women, you know, during a time where, you know, people didn't know to wash their hands and didn't know a lot of stuff. um, Then what they saw were a lot of women going, quote unquote, crazy. And It makes it more difficult for people who are actually mentally ill to seek treatment because Mm -hmm. there's a stigma. 
And then we use crazy as kind of a catch-all term. We just Like do. we mentioned, you know, we talk about it as we mean silly or strange or extremely or intensely or mental illness or rational behavior. These, it's kind of this catch-all term. And really, it's lazy. Which And that's probably my thing where I need to try and be more exact because if what I mean is mental illness, I should probably say mental illness. And what if what I mean is that it's extreme, I should find a word that means extreme that doesn't mean crazy. Yeah. That doesn't say crazy. Doesn't using this term that can be misinterpreted. I should be more careful with my language, but it's hard because it's a habit. Well, it's hard. And I would say, and this is just me kind of crazy hard. I'm bloviating (laughs) with this, but I feel like because clinicians don't use the word crazy, I I think that most of us don't use the word crazy and mental illness, unless it's men talking about women. (laughs) Um, But I think in general, like the definitions that don't mean like mentally ill are so much more weighty in our society that when we say crazy, I don't think most people actually go there. Oh, that's just me. I don't know. I feel better about it. You can feel better about that. (laughs) I I feel like crazy. I think we all know that that doesn't actually mean yeah. we are because, because things are like literally copyrighted as titles. Kids crazy Christmas party. Yeah. Okay. The Uh crazy time, right? Like there's, you know, crazy ex-girlfriend, crazy ex-girlfriend. So we use it so ubiquitously that I don't think as much of appropriation as it might've used to be. Okay. I think. Okay. Or maybe I'm just justifying why we should be able to use that word. Maybe I need to be more cognizant of my language, Mm -hmm. but also be a little more forgiving if I make a mistake. Yeah. Okay. But maybe just refrain from using it when actually talking about somebody who's mentally ill. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. On the other hand, a lot of people who are mentally ill will tell you they're crazy. <laughs> yes, they will. Yes, they will. Uh, so now the real life section. Woo! Unless you have something else. You no, okay. no. Good. In the very first scene, we see a neighbor bringing a meal and... You know, this is a cross-cultural phenomenon. Everywhere in the world, when somebody is having grief of one kind or another, people bring food, rich food and lots of it. And can I just tell you that there are very, 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 very minor amount of occasions that I have felt like that went well. Oh, really? I hate it. Really? Don't bring me food. I can't stand it. Buy you an Uber Eats gift card. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Very rare occasions. I think once, once in my entire life has a food train arrived that I was like actually appreciative of. Really? Yeah. Um, Yeah, you say that. And I think about that when I, you know, had my children when they were babies. We didn't have a food train. We did. It was very sweet. I had uh, friends who did stock the freezer parties. Okay. Yeah. That's not so bad. Yeah. Because then they didn't have to interrupt. They didn't have to show up. They didn't have to organize what time. I didn't have to like try and be cute and dressed when they arrived. Mm -hmm. All I had to do was pull something out of the freezer and put it in the crock pot or on the stove and it was done. I right. didn't have to worry about it. I got to think fondly about those people. Maybe I would send them like a card or a, mm-hmm. you know, later a text, a text. <laughs> <laughs> and say, I ate, 
mm-hmm. the stew that you made me tonight and it was so great. Thank you so much. Right. You know, but I was able to do that on my own time. I didn't have to be. Well, like, okay. In this scene, she brings this dish, right? And at the end of it, she's like, well, just get that back to me whenever. Okay. This is the problem y'all. Okay. So my husband was sick for a long, long time. Right. Um, and so in the hospital, you know, for 40 days, the first time and about 30 days, the next time and isolated at home otherwise. Well, and so people really wanted to be helpful and bring us meals. And at first I thought, well, that's very, very sweet, very kind. I appreciate it. But what I realized was that I ended up with, I mean, literally no less than 15 dishes, baking dishes, whatnots. And somehow they all wanted it back. Right? So they're texting. Hey, do you have that dish that I brought? Well, now you've saved me no time because A, I had to wash the dish that you brought me. So I could have just washed my own dishes and now I have to bring it back to you. And you know what? My husband's not done being sick. So therefore, you know, I now have to do this extra chore. I could have just cooked dinner that night. Right. I could have just done anything else. Well, and then, then by the end of it, if you're waiting to the end of it, I don't know whose dish is what. Yeah, exactly. People either need to make it a gift to you and say, hey, I bought you this lovely dish, you know, and here's some food in it. And then that way you have something new and, and fun to, to look at or, or please just pack it in disposable. This is what disposable was made for. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. You know, cause nothing was better than like the few people who brought things over and all disposable with the plastic forks, with everything. So there was literally no cleanup. That was actually far more helpful. Yeah. I'll have some tips in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. About yeah, how I, you should do that. And that is one of the big ones is that if you're making, make something freezable mm-hmm. in case they can't eat it right away, right? especially, you know, you, people with new babies or people with family member who's ill or people who are grieving, they're getting a lot at Mm -hmm. one time and they don't need it all at one time. No. You know, what they need is something they can put in the freezer and pull out later and have an easy meal and it's in the foil pan Mm -hmm. or in a in a piece of plastic storage container that they can can either save or throw away when they're Mm -hmm. done and they don't have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about it. You know, I have seen some cute ones where they've had dishes and at the bottom is a sweet message so that when you get to the bottom, there's actually like this next encouraging moment and it's a gift, Uh, you know, and that's cute. I like that idea because, you know, there's a few things that I have from that time that was just kind of, well, you know, gifted a little bit. And I remember those things fondly. So I can imagine that you know, that, that's a good way to do it. But yeah. overall, one time it turned out really well, though, is when my stepmother died Aww. because her family and friends and see, this was them. They just walked in. I rang the doorbell and then they walked in. They just took care of business. Aww. There was just always just a fresh buffet of things. Yeah. Now that's how you do it, people. Yeah. Okay. Like we had paper plates and everything. They brought in the paper plates and stuff. I literally think we just got rid of them. Really? I think oh, they just great. ran out. Like, wow. We didn't have to do dishes for tons of people forever. There was always snacks and candies and whatever. And there was always something fresh and always something frozen. And I'm talking like... That's how y'all do it. Well, and that's, <laughs> a, you know, coming to to this, this is what you need. Yeah. You need 
nourishing main meals, yes. but you also need crackers and things to stock the pantry with and, oh, maybe some fresh fruit and a container of milk. Mm-hmm. You know, things that people run out of are loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. That's a common one, especially like in Italy. They talked about yeah. that, that everybody brings bread. Oh yeah. Because, we had plenty, yeah. plenty of bread. Yeah. My, oh, by, my stepmother was Italian. And so that's oh, okay. why I'm saying, yes. yeah. We always had. See, and I didn't realize that. Bread. That's mm-hmm. great. You know, if you're going to actually be helpful, pack everything in disposable, as we mentioned. Make sure it's something that freezes well. Avoid allergens so that you don't have to spend uncommonly disliked foods. Don't make anything too spicy. Right. Don't make anything weird. We, yeah, strange. <laughs> Mexican lasagna. Like they brought oh the lady at the beginning. Like, what is that? It wasn't Does, just Mexican lasagna, it was her take on Mexican and lasagna. There was, Olives or something. Olives raisins. or something. In it. There were raisins. Oh, raisins. In it. That's what it was. Oh, ugh. gross. Yeah, no, no, not okay. Gross. Call ahead. Let them know that they're coming. Mm-hmm. And you know, you might want to like take flowers and desserts. But if they're people with children, maybe offer to watch the children yeah. for a few hours. That's super helpful to people. Mm-hmm. There's something they need to take care of, or they need a nap. Yeah. Or they need their laundry done, mm-hmm. you know, and don't stay in their house unless they are craving company. They could be craving company, yeah. but you say, hey, would you like me to take that home and wash it? You wash it, dry it, fold it, yeah. and deliver folded clothes. Come do the laundry. Yeah. Yes, come do the laundry <laughs> for certain. Yeah. The, the kind of food that they suggested were like soups and stews, things that you can put in a slow cooker mm-hmm. so that they can, when in the morning, when they're maybe hopefully a little more well rested and they're thinking a little more clearly, they can put the frozen meal into the crock pot. Right. And then when they realize they're hungry six or eight hours later, hey, dinner's done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for fresh things, I I really, I, if you want to do something fresh, fresh, Uh um, like a charcuterie board, Uh like just bring over, uh, you know, one of those and stick it in the fridge because then they can kind of snack on it all day, which a lot of people don't want to eat a full meal. They just want to sit around with, with the, you know, with some stuff in the middle. Right. Because um, if you haven't been through it, if you're, if you've got like a long-term kind of grief going on, basically you're opening bottles of wine. So bring wine, by the way. Um, <laughs> if they're drinkers. Yeah, if they're drinkers, bring wine. Um, and that's when you sit around with that and you just kind of munch a little bit all day. You're not really looking to sit down for a meal and have all of that. So a charcuterie board full of like good Yummy, mm-hmm. but also kind of nutritious proteins. Right. And there things are, like that. Yeah, Fruits they're protein and, and high fat, so mm-hmm. they kind of stick with you. But those a little things, bit of carbs because you need a little yeah, bit of quick energy. And those things hold well too. They, they don't do. spoil quickly. They don't. So those so are really helpful. good things. But the other thing, can I just say send money? Can I just say send money? Because sure. in today's society, I mean, I can just Uber Eats anything I want. I can just order my groceries. I can, you know, and sometimes you just need a reason to go to the store to right. get out. And so sometimes it's really about the fact that you're buying more than you maybe would typically. Right. You just need the financial support. That's fair too. And they, that was something else they suggested is you can offer to take them a meal, but also maybe invite them to your home. Mm -hmm. Maybe they need to get out. Mm -hmm. Maybe they need, you know, and don't fear the rejection. If somebody says, I'm not ready for that, say, that's fine. But don't, 
just leave it there. Ask again. By Ask all again means. later because they're not going to come back to you and say, you know, you asked me a while back if I'd like to come over. I'd like to do that. No, they're not yeah, going to do that. They're not going to do that. But if you offer repeatedly, eventually they're going to take you up on that. Eventually well, yeah. they're going to feel, oh, they've asked me three times Maybe they really do want me to come over. Maybe they really don't care what I am dressed like Mm -hmm. and whether I'm good company or not. They just, they want to be there for me. And that's, you know, kind of a good thing. And by all means, do not get your feelings hurt if they reject what you offer. Because that was the thing that drove me the most nuts. And I cannot tell you, I was absolutely dumbfounded during that time, you know, which really lasted over a couple of years, um, how many people got their feelings hurt and then would kind of get mad at me and then I'd have to spend time comforting them because they, they just didn't get to help. Like literally I comforted at least three people in tears because they would approach me and ask me if I need anything. And I'd, I say, no, I'm really all set. And they'd be like, well, because I heard about it and I didn't get to do it. And I'm like, I'm really all set now. And they're, and they'd be like, well, I guess there's just nothing I can do for you then. I guess I'm not really helpful. Well, and then they're really like putting it on you uh-huh. as the grieving person and to, to make them, them, to make them feel better and to decide how they can best help you. They know what their talents are. Like no offense, but like that right there, that was the end of our closer friendships. Mm, I stopped. That's sad. That was it. I was it. That I mean, I comforted them in that moment, but mental note, that's a boundary. This person is now an acquaintance. Because if you attack me, right, during my time of need to make you feel better about the fact that you can't help me right now, oh my gosh. I got no patience for that. Well, and that's the thing too, is that you can't be upset when people don't need help or don't know how to ask for help. It's hard. It's one thing to repeatedly say, what can I do to help you? Mm -hmm. And then make suggestions about that. Things that you know you're good at and then be okay if they say, nope, I don't need it right now. Right. Yeah. And be okay. It's not about you. That's the kind of the point of it. But you know, I have found that people who have that gifting for service and for doing like for helping, they do, they carry it emotionally. And so when they're rejected, you're rejecting their gifting. It's as if you're saying you're not good enough. And I understand the, how that might feel to them like a, like a rejection, but you got to, you got to get that under control. (laughs) You've got to be an adult. You got to get that under control. You're not 14 and Mm -hmm. okay. Anyway, so, so the women talk about like meditation. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Judy suggests it to Jen. So what are some of the best kinds of meditation? Well, there's loving kindness meditation Mm -hmm. where you just kind of open yourself up to receiving that and then sending love and kindness messages out into the universe or Mm -hmm. to specific people. And it can help with people who have anger, frustration or resentment or interpersonal conflict. And I thought that would be the one Jen should probably consider (laughs) (laughs) because she needs help with all of those things. You can have body scan or progressive relaxation Mm -hmm. where it encourages you to pay attention to your body and find sources of tension and release them. Mindful meditation encourages you to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. So, because it can be very easy to, especially when you're grieving, to get caught up in the past mm-hmm. and how you should have done things differently. And maybe just what in the moment I'm in, mm-hmm. center yourself there. Uh, 
breath awareness where you're just conscious of your breathing, different types of yoga, which are actually physically active and it blends movement and breathing. Then of course there's Zen, which everybody is kind of, that's really what you think of where you're sitting in a comfortable position and you focus on your breathing. And then you, what people don't talk about is you mindfully observe your thoughts Mm -hmm. without judgment. That's the part that a lot of people don't get, I think, which I think can really be helpful. And then, you know, transcendental meditation, which is what people think of that, you know, you're rising above your current state of being. I would suggest that most people really are never going to be able to achieve transcendental meditation, that that's a practice that's not useful or helpful or attainable for a lot of people. Yeah. I think, uh, transcendental kind of rests on already mastering kind of mindfulness and certain Mm -hmm. other things, because you have to be able to already accept your thoughts without judgment. You have to be mindful enough to have noticed your thoughts and, and be able to express them, put words to them, definitions to them. Yeah. Whereas most people are not so mindful as to what they're actually thinking. Right. They, they think they're thinking one thing and they're really not. And most people are not, I, well, I can't say that. I can't say that most, but a healthy amount of people. It's not something that we, especially here in the West, typically practice. No. So we're not, we haven't built up those mental muscles to be able to right. achieve a that A lot of state. people mask. Yeah, because they're not familiar with other things, they don't realize that they're they're translating them. Right. So you might have emotions like a normal person has emotions: sadness, bitterness, resentfulness, regret, and it manifests as Jen shows us anger. All right. of that translates to anger because it's the only emotion she understands how to express. Right. And so a lot of us do that. We we mask and we uh, and so some people it's sadness. Every, every emotion is actually just sadness or, and so we kind of take it and we're like, we're talented at this emotion. We get it. But you can't be mindful because it's not all anger. Mm -hmm. It's not all sadness. It's not all these things. There's multiple things going on. And so, yeah, it's hard. Jen listens to loud music while she drives and does her meditating. And a lot of people think you can only meditate to relaxing music, but Actually, relaxation isn't necessarily the primary goal of meditation. It's calming the mind, but really it's cultivating insight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can be listening to very loud music and understanding how that music makes you feel and which will lead you to other thoughts that will then allow you to have more insight into why you're feeling the way you're feeling or why you're behaving a certain way. And that's really what meditation is. So you can listen to any kind of music that helps you get into a space where you can do some self-evaluation. Yeah. (laughs) Smudging. Smudging. (laughs) Lots of people do smudging. Judy smudged the guest house. Yeah. And I liked watching Jen watch her. Yeah. It was funny. Because she was... Because she, you know, she went to the whole crazy place. Yeah, uh huh. She was like, this woman may be mentally ill and she's living feet from my main residence. Um, does it really remove negative energy and spirits? Prob- probably not. I mean, your belief in something goes a long way to how you feel about it. 
and to whether it works for you. Mm-hmm. But really, any odor that you find pleasant or is associated with positive memories can help lift your spirits yep. and make you feel better in a place. So smudge if you want to. Yeah. But, but don't think necessarily that... I mean, if you believe that it makes your home free of evil spirits, then by, by all means... means. <laughs> Yes. Go for it. Yeah. But, but that is a more of a supernatural sort of uh, that, belief that's right. than it that's, is a uh, practical yeah. yes. belief. And then the last thing I want to talk about is the balloon release that they Ooh, did. Oh, yes, yes. Don't do a balloon release, please. There's so many environmental reasons why this is a problem, oh. and yet it's such a sweet little sentiment. It, it is a very sweet sentiment, and you know you can see how it would feel good to release it and think that your loved one is receiving your sentiments in heaven. Mm-hmm. If you believe in heaven, they're already receiving your sentiments. You don't need to put it in a balloon and kill a turtle. <laughs> So you might think that things like sky lanterns or dove releases or butterfly releases might be good alternatives, but they're really not because sky lanterns burn, which is why they float. There's a reason why it was a cartoon tangled that used those. They went up in popularity right after that movie came out and they're really, they cause forest fires, birds and doves are not necessarily native to your environment that you can cause them to die. You can introduce invasive species. Don't do that. Plant a plant. Yes. Or have some sort of like garden spinner that will last for a long time Mm -hmm. to help you remind you of your loved one. (laughs) They even suggested a dancing inflatable, like those, my kids call him the floppy guy. Yeah. Which they they were like, eh, they last a long time. I'm okay. like, that's kind of weird. But then you could do things like pinwheels mm-hmm. where they're made of paper. You can, you can write a message on them, make right. them, especially if you have children, you can make them. And then, you know, the message is delivered to them through the breeze. Right. You yep. can, you know. You could float flowers as long as they're native flowers to where you live. Right. You can, you know, put them in a stream and that kind of gives you the same kind of feeling as a floating balloon without mm-hmm. the environmental impact. Uh, you could do fundraising for an, an organization that they were interested in or mm-hmm. touched by or a cause that they felt strongly about. You could whisper your messages to them and blow bubbles. Yeah, bubbles are a good one. That you know, that's or you know, or have a gathering of people mm-hmm. where you remember them. All of those I would suggest are maybe better than having a balloon send off. Right. Which I understand I understand how cathartic that might feel. Yeah. Is very bad for the environment. It's one thing to accidentally lose a balloon. Yeah. Once in a while, but to intentionally let them go, it, it's irresponsible. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah agreed, agreed. There's yeah. a lot other ways that you could do that. Yeah. Man, there's a lot to talk about. And there's a lot of things that we didn't talk about. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's so much. It's such a good show. It is such a good show. And, you know, and it's crimey, but the whole other side of it, you know? Right. You're dealing I with... Mean, literally hit and run. Mm-hmm. She's a murderer. Somebody beats up a car. I mean, 
Yeah. You know, but there's so much behind that. I think it's interesting to kind of look at that as to why she behaved the way she did Mm -hmm. and, you know, why did she hit and run? Why did she hide it? What is she trying to do to make up for this? You know, then, you know, why did Jen beat up the car and why did Judy take the fall for it? There's, you know, there's these crimey elements, but there's so much more into it. It's just so interesting. It is so interesting. And Judy, I just, her character is so enthralling and engaging. She's just so dear. You just can't help but feel bad for her. You just can't help it. And, you know, especially as the season rolls on, it's just as crazy. There I go with it. (laughs) Um, It's just as chaotic uh and intricate. And I, I feel like she does a good job of portraying this this good person who has this bad thing and the guilt and the... (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just like every situation, it's so complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy to stand in judgment. And the older I get, the the less judgmental I find myself being because you don't know what it's like to live in another person's skin. You don't. And it's it's just so difficult. It's exhausting. Oh my gosh. It can be so exhausting. Yeah. You know, and everything compounds. That's the one thing that we want to look at things so compartmentalized. But the truth is that nothing is really compartmentalized. Nothing is. Everything is compounded by other things. And so, whether you acknowledge it or not. Right. And so, it's exhausting to kind of look through all of that and try to you know, discern things. Is Judy really a good person if she can do this? Yeah. I don't know. Like it's just big existential questions. Well, and nobody is all good and all bad. No. I mean, did she do a bad thing? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Was that the wrong choice to make in the moment and things she did after it? Were they bad choices? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Is she a bad person? I don't think so. Right. But if you look at this one thing that she did, you could say she's a bad person. Well, and it's just, I mean, you could even argue that she's a bad person for befriending Jen because that was a selfish move. It was selfish. It was a selfish move cloaked in a altruistic move, which are my least favorite types of (laughs) selfish moves. When you try to do something. But it turns out so like beneficial for them both it could but you know what she could have found a friend that didn't kill her husband (laughs) and maybe that would have even been been better yeah but the only reason that judy was able to befriend her the way she did was because she felt guilty yeah Mm -hmm. she nobody else is going to put up with jen's anger issues no and her poor behavior jen had a reason to stick around and she did stick around yeah and even if it was out of her own guilt. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult. People are complicated. People Dang are it. complicated. You know, <laughs> like what we say at the beginning, pitfalls, people. <laughs> yes, pitfalls, people. Pitfalls, yeah, people. They're, they're a pitfall of grief support group mm-hmm. and in life in general. Yeah, truly, truly. Right, so next time we're going to watch Murder Mystery, another <laughs> Netflix original. We're going to have to pick something other than a Netflix original. I know, we're really some hooked on the, the Netflix future, originals but, right but now. They've been so good. They have been really they, good. Well, I mean, Although I'm mad at them because like, eh. they keep but, canceling shows that I like. But, you know, you, I, I digress. Yeah. Um, but Murder Mystery is a movie. Yes, it's a and movie. And I don't normally like Adam Sandler, but I really enjoyed him in this movie. And yeah. I really do like Jennifer Aniston. 
Yeah, if you don't normally like the uh, Happy Gilmore side of of Adam Sandler, okay. this is more of the Fifty First Dates side oh, of Adam Sandler, so which is so good. So this is more of his other kind of comedy, yes. which has that a little bit of that more practical silliness, right? right? Yes, and um, this is a very it's obviously a murder mystery yeah. right there in the title. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. It's entertaining yeah. though. Yeah. So join us in a couple of weeks when we come to talk about that and give you our thoughts and some insight. Yes. Yeah. We'll see you then. Yeah. Forge audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.